Uh, we have man in the morning at 7, two minutes that can make a difference. At 9 a.m., we have a message of hope at 7 p.m., and then we have Bible investigation at 9. If you have not caught some of Billy Hayes' classes recently, you have missed out. He's been having some wonderful classes, so please pay attention to his classes. Tonight on Bible Investigation, we look at a question that a person wrote saying, why does Luke have the cup before the bread in the communion service? And that was his question. So we're going to look at that question, and uh, I think we're going to, uh, uh, in that class, share the biblical response to that question. Coming up uh, later uh, in the month of August, we're going to be looking at, uh, we've had a whole bushel basket of people write to me about uh, alleged contradictions in the Bible, uh, alleged discrepancies of the Bible. So we're going to take a whole week, Monday through Saturday, of Bible investigation in the month of August. In fact, I'm recording those this week. And we're going to look at all these alleged contradictions. And uh, I think we're going to prove that they're not a contradiction. It's just a misunderstanding by some people. Uh, we're going to need some help tonight. Um, I tell you what, Andy, if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to uh, turn your Bible to Proverbs 27, verse 20. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Uh, I'm going to need one more, John. Uh, turn yours to uh, Deuteronomy 17:17. 17, 17. Deuteronomy 17:17. 17, 17. Let's look at the text. Then we're going to look at these questions. We're in 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women. This is against God's Word. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. Let's read that. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. You shall not acquire many wives. This passage, actually beginning in verse 14, going through uh, verse 20, deals with the kings of Israel. Uh, God was predicting what would happen. Of course, when the kings came about, when the people requested the king, this did not surprise God. God knew it would happen. In fact, he right here said it would happen. He gave a warning. When you have a king, he's not to have many wives. We believe that this daughter of Pharaoh was probably Solomon's first wife, we think. But then he gets all these other wives in addition to that first wife. Look at verse 2. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Talking about influence. Talking about the impact of influence. 
uh, we talked a little bit about that last Sunday evening uh, in the sermon and how that um, uh, wives, husbands and wives, influence each other. And uh, who you marry is going to impact you spiritually. Let's read on. Solomon clung to these in love. The wisest man who, who ever walked on this earth, other than Jesus, Jesus was, of course, the wisest, but the wisest uh, human, might say, a person. He leaves his wisdom at the door. And he clings to all of these foreign women. He's driven by his desires. He clings to them in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Now, these would be, um, I'd say, uh, wives without all the uh, benefits that come with being a wife. They were still part of the household. Uh, they just didn't have some of the inheritance and other rights that uh, the wife would have. Solomon is doing what his ancestors had done. Abraham, Abraham had concubines, had more than one wife. Uh, you look at Jacob, uh, you look at even David, his father had multiple wives and had, had concubines also. This is not a good thing. God had warned them, plus God had, had appeared to Solomon twice, given him a promise. The first time, the promise was very clear. And, in fact, let's go back to that promise. Go back to that promise. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12. Behold, I now do according to your word. Solomon had asked for uh, understanding, in other words, wisdom. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if, as Billy said, that, that big word if, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. He's going to get it all. But what does he do? He wants more. 700 wives, uh, you know, all these concubines. He, he wants more. And, and it's a problem because what's happening? For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. He's no longer walking with God. In fact, go down to verse 6. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Did not wholly follow the Lord. Joshua and Caleb, 
They were described as two men who wholly followed the Lord. David was described as a man who wholly followed the Lord. Now, were they perfect? No. But as I've said before, when they would get off center, they would get back centered with God. When they would sin, they would seek forgiveness. You know, but here Solomon, he gets off-centered and he stays off-centered. He's going in the wrong direction. Look at questions one, two, and three. Solomon's main problem was that he was what? Rich? Too famous? Had too many wives? Or is it he left the true God and turned to false gods? Okay, you think it's the last one, Charlie? Uh, that's the one I've got down. Of course, the, the many wives caused it, but he left God out of his life. He should have known better. He should have known better. You know, he's, he's trying to fulfill the lust of the eye. It doesn't work. Let's read Proverbs 27, verse 20. The eyes of the man are never satisfied. You know, you just want more and more and more. The appetite is never quenched. You would think after the third or fourth wife, but no. You got a hundred and two hundred and three hundred and four hundred. Mark, can you imagine being married to seven hundred women? Wow, that blows my mind. But that's Solomon. You know, he, could, he had the potential of being the best king ever. He had the potential, wise, wisdom, of being the best king. And he blew it. Doesn't that serve as a warning to us today? When we think we have it all figured out, when we think that we know what's best, we need to turn back to God. Don't trust human reasoning. Look at question two. What did God have against the Israelites marrying foreigners? If you go back to Deuteronomy, we've already read about the king, the, the admonition to the king. That same admonition was given to all the people. What's this thing about marrying foreigners? What is it? I've got down here, I think all of these, except maybe the last one, applies. We know that God loves everybody. You know, God included Rahab in his family. He included Ruth in his family. He had Jonah go preach to Nineveh. You know, it's not the fact that God hates these people. It's not the fact that He hates these people. But He's talking about the impact. The, the fact they will seduce Israel into idolatry. Remember the story I told you about the identical twin sons? What's the difference between those t twin sons? It's who they married. 
One married a rock-solid Christian, you know, still the whole family, him and his wife, his kids. Um, I think now he's got one or two grandchildren. Uh, the family is really strong for the Lord. The other son, the other brother has been in and out of jail because of who he married. He married a beautiful gal. I mean, drop-dead gorgeous. But spiritually, nothing. Nothing. Solomon allowed these other women to taint his view of God, to change his view of God. Question three. It appears to me that Solomon... You know, so many of these answers you could use. It appears to me that Solomon gradually fell away from God. It wasn't like one day he was working for God, serving God, the next day he's a sinner. I think it was a gradual thing. You know, well, it won't really hurt if I go and worship my wife's idol over here. Just, you know, I'm just going to be there, you know, support her. You know, I'll support her. And then the next time, well, you know, maybe I need to take something with me. No, last time I just went with nothing and maybe I need to offer up something to this idol. And then suddenly, you know, after a few weeks, a few months, a few years, he's... That's the way it is when people usually leave the Lord. If you have a Christian... You have a Christian who's coming Sunday and, and Sunday evening and, and Wednesday and he's involved and he's taking part. Does that person usually just next week quit? No. Usually what happens is, you know, they will maybe keep on coming on Sunday, but they'll cut out Wednesday. Or maybe they'll keep on coming on Sunday, but they'll quit out serving. They won't be involved. And, and then, uh, then suddenly they're just coming uh, on Sunday, and they come for Sunday and Sunday class and Sunday worship. And then suddenly they're just coming for Sunday worship, and then they just not come in at all. That's usually what happens. People don't quit God cold turkey. They kind of gradually quit God. Let's continue on. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon, rightly so, because his heart, why was he angry? Because his heart had turned from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, this is not a one-time thing. It had become his practice. It had become his normal thing. Since this is your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes and that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. That servant's going to be Jeroboam with a J, okay? Rehoboam is his son. Now, we would assume with 700 wives, he probably had more than one son. But the only son we have by name is Rehoboam with a R. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days. 
I'm going to do it after you die. But I will tear it out of the hand of your son. We know that to be Rehoboam. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Now, let's look at an alleged discrepancy. There, God says, I'm going to give you one tribe. He gets two tribes. He gets Judah and Benjamin. Is that a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. Why does it say one tribe? Well, let me give you some reasons. First, the tribe of Benjamin was extremely small, okay? Compared to the other tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was extremely small. And usually, they got kind of left out, okay? You know, they got kind of overlooked. And since they lived down there next to uh, Judah, they kind of got, kind of, kind of merged into one, okay? So it became common practice that when you referred to Judah you were referring to all the occupants of the southern part of Israel. And the southern part of Israel was both Judah, the big tribe covering most of the area, and the little bitty tribe of Benjamin. Okay? So you got the big tribe of Judah, and you got this little tiny tribe of Benjamin. So it became a common practice to kind of merge them together, okay? You kind of merge them together. It, it's kind of like um, when you get married, you kind of get uh, referred to as, as one, don't you? You know, uh, the two of you are two people, but you kind of get referred to as one. You know, it's no longer Tom and Pam, it's the Sheltons, okay? Well, we both know that, we all know that there's still two people there. It's Tom and Pam, but it's the Sheltons. You know, we refer to them as the Shelton's. So this is not a discrepancy. This is a common way of referring to Judah. They're going to get Judah. He, he's going to give them Judah, the southern tribe. And along with Judah, you're going to get Benjamin. Plus, you're going to get the Levite priest. We're going to find that out a little bit later. The Levite priest, for the most part, all come down south because Jeroboam will reject their priesthood. Uh, he doesn't want people going to Jerusalem. He establishes two places of worship, Dan and Bethel, because he doesn't want his people going back to Jerusalem. You know, go down to Jerusalem, they might be influenced, and they might, I might lose my kingdom. So he establishes two places of idol worship, Dan in the north, Bethel in the south, and that's where he's going to have worship. Well, the priests, the Levite priests don't want to do that. That's not right. So they go to the south. Plus, many of the faithful, the faithful few in the north will go to the south eventually. That's how we still have 12 tribes, okay? Uh, when the 10 tribes are carried off, you still had remnants of all the tribes living in the south. 
majority were of the tribe of Judah, but you're going to have essentially all the tribes living down there uh, in the south. Now, let's look at question four. How did Solomon turn away from God as he got older? How did Solomon turn away from God as he got older? He's let an influence rule over his heart and more importantly rule over his mind. Because you know the heart does what the mind says and, and he's thinking and he's doing what his wives tell him to do. I've got three thought questions for you. Fill in the blank. Devoting myself to God has been fill in the blank. Hard, easy, difficult at times, a struggle, an ongoing problem, something that I would like to conquer. How does that fill in the blank apply to your life? Look at question six. I notice myself drifting away from the Lord when I... Look at all those possibilities right there. And then last, what keeps me from drifting away from God? I want to urge you to take advantage of those four daily online classes. You know, one person said, right now, I have more opportunity to study God's Word than I ever have. Amen. And not just what Billy and I do. There's other things on there, polishing the pulpit and, and many other good uh, resources. In fact, have you clicked on our website up near the top? I think it's over to the right. The word resources. Click on resources and see the many things that we have available. We just added PTP 365. And that's free. For you, the elders have given that to you, okay, as a resource. Take advantage of it, okay? Take advantage of it. Any thoughts before we go to story number 86? Story number 86. Yeah, Andy. Okay. So it looks like for a period of time, initially, everybody went except for Judah. Okay. That is a possibility. That is a possibility. That is a possibility. Uh, the bottom line is we end up with two tribes. We end up with Judah and, and Benjamin following after Rehoboam, and we have the ten tribes in the north following after Jeroboam. So good point there. Let's look at story number 86. The kingdom is divided. Look at your uh, synopsis. Before Solomon died, God told him that due to his spiritual disobedience, he would lose most of the kingdom. However, for the sake of his father David, this would happen to his son and not him. A prophet also promised Jeroboam that he would rule the northern tribes. The southern tribe of Judah uh, naturally 
accepted David and his descendants since they were from that tribe. Now Rehoboam has succeeded his father Solomon as king. He travels to Shechem. Now what was special about Shechem? Shechem is where uh, you associate with Abraham. Uh, you associate that also with David. David had been declared king first at Shechem. Uh, Shechem is kind of the place they go to uh, establish their rule. Now he travels to Shechem in hopes of receiving the continued support of the northern tribes. Let's look at chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. They go to all, all the elders, representing all of Israel, go there. They're going to make him king if he will make some changes. Notice. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, they asked for some changes. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Now, in just a moment, we're going to look at question one. What's the problem? All this building, they had been building some massive uh, buildings. Uh, they built the temple. They built the palace. Uh, they fortified many cities. That takes forced labor. That takes taxes. And the people were tired of it. They didn't like the forced labor. They didn't like all the extreme taxes. They didn't like having to serve in the military, you know, being part of his army. Remember when the people first wanted a king before they got King Saul? And remember what God warned them? You know, you're not going to like this. You know, a king's going to, uh, king's going to do, you know, he's going to tax you and a king's going to force uh, things on you that you don't like. Well, that's what had happened. So they say to Rehoboam, Lighten the load. We will follow you if. Now, keep in mind, God's will will always rule. God's will will always rule. Now, it's God's will that the kingdom is going to be divided. Okay? Because God knows the heart of Rehoboam. God knows what Rehoboam is going to do. Because he knows Rehoboam. Look at question one. What did the northern tribes really want? They wanted a lighter load, lower taxes, an end of forced labor. They wanted to be treated fairly. So what does Rehoboam do? King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? They said to him, 
If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Look at question two. What was the philosophy behind the advice of the elders, of the older men? Politicians should be servants. They had seen what Solomon had done, and they were saying to Rehoboam, you can't do what your father did. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to make some changes to keep them all together. But he abandoned the council of these older men and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. You know, if you don't like someone's advice, what do you do? You go find someone else's advice that might agree with you, okay? You, you go out looking for advice that you already agree with. That's not very good, but that's what Rehoboam does here. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said this to me, lighten the yoke and that your father put on us? The young man who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our heavy our yoke heavy, but you will lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. In other words, I'm, you think he was tough? I'm going to make it really tough for you. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What's, what's the philosophy behind their advice? Show them who's in charge. Hey, don't let them pull this over you. You show them who's in charge, Rehoboam. You're the king. But keep in mind, the northern tribes are bigger than the southern tribes. The northern tribes are more populous and more men than the southern tribes. They don't like this at all. They don't like this. And keep in mind, Solomon, where was Solomon from? Solomon... Solomon was from the southern tribes. You know, sometimes we don't trust people who are not from around here. You know, that's, I guess, human nature for us not to trust people sometimes who are not around here. You know, uh, you know they, we think, oh, that's, you know, that person, you know, he doesn't know what life is like here. And, and maybe we don't trust the advice. The northern tribes don't trust Rehoboam. He's not one of them. He's from the house of David. What part do we have in the house of David? We don't. We don't. Let's continue on. Verse 15. So the king did not listen to, this, to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. The Lord had predicted a split, and a split's going to happen. God's will will always be the rule. 
Verse 16, when all Israel saw the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. You take care of your own problems, we're going to go back home. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam, he reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. He sends his main taskmaster up to the north. What do they do? Verse 18, they stoned him to death. Uh-oh, Rehoboam thinks, hey, they're serious. They're, they're, they're going to rebel against me. Verse 20, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly, and they made him king over all Israel. Now we're going to call the north Israel and the south Judah. That's going to become the names we use. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? So he assembles all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin there. 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man returns to his home, for this thing, this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord, went home again according to the word of the Lord. Through the prophet, God says, this split is for me. It's because Solomon sinned. It's because of his sin that I've taken away the majority of the kingdom from his son. And you're not going to change what I have set in motion. Who actually was responsible for the divided kingdom? You might say Rehoboam and his rejection of the uh, older advisors. You could say Jeroboam because he becomes king of the north. You could say the young advisors. You could say the northern tribe, southern tribe. Who's actually responsible? It's Solomon, sin, and God had to punish. Solomon sin, and God had to discipline. In your own words, how does this story end? I'll give you one word. Sad. We have family that's split. Remember, all 12 tribes are one family. They're all descendants of, of one family. And it's sad when a family has problems, and this family's got problems, and, and they split. And to make matters worse, Jeroboam will set up idol worship. We mentioned already he sets up idol worship at Dan and Bethel. 
And the people of the north, for the most part, follow that. And we're going to see king after king after king after king in the north, and they're all going to be evil. And we're going to see a lot, a lot of sin. And because of all that sin, the north's going to be carried away first. And they're going to go into bondage first. And for the most part, their history is ended. You know, the southern tribes, the southern tribe with all the people down there living now, they continue on. They have a few decent kings, but they eventually will be overrun by the enemy and they're carried off into bondage. To me, I look at all that and I see sadness because it didn't have to be that way. If Solomon had just tried, if he had just tried to follow God faithfully, you know, it's important for us to become a Christian. That's mighty important. You can't go to heaven unless you become a Christian. But the same way, it's important to live the Christian life. You can't just punch your ticket for heaven the moment you're baptized and say, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven. You've got to live a faithful life. Solomon started off so well, but he faltered. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. We think it was Solomon. There are some people who think that the book is, uh, 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 mentions Solomon in honor of Solomon. The Hebrew there is a little bit fuzzy. Verse 1 is a little bit fuzzy. So most people say Solomon wrote it. A few people say, no, it is just given in honor of Solomon. I think Solomon wrote it. And you see, I think maybe Solomon realizing his problems because he tries everything. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he tries everything. And what's everything? You name it, he tries it. And it's all vanity. It's vanity of vanity. And he gets down to the very last verse. In fact, let's look at it. The very last verse of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He finally realized, maybe at the end, if that is Solomon, and I believe it's Solomon, he finally realized all of this other stuff is nothing. What's really important, it is following God. I think the bell has rung. Thank you so much. We will resume on story 87. <laughs>